Welcome to the Face Podcast. Did you do one without me last week? Yeah. How did it go? Yeah, I don't know, because I woke up at, I don't know, 8am, 7am or something like that, and you said that you weren't able to come in, and I'd had quite a big night at that new mm. show. Um, so I was actually in quite a bad mood about it, actually. <laughs> but it went all right, I think. I, I, I enjoyed it, I listened to it. Yeah, it was all right. Yeah. We were scrambling, though. We? we didn't know what to do with ourselves. No. It took us quite a while Good, to try to figure it out. I was a little bit nervous because yeah. there's some notes about the fashion shows. I didn't know how to pronounce all the names of the. <laughs> you did the brands, smash it though, so. David. You did so smash John it. John Galino. <laughs> that, that got cut. <laughs> you were very Bringing missed, it back. Matthew. Wait, so you were hung up. And uh, what about you two? Because, Jade, you and TJ, you were at Amelia de Moldenberg's annual Valentine's Day. What was it? I don't know what it was. Valentine's Day party yeah. affair. Yeah, which was good. I mean, I'm feeling pretty fresh this morning. Oh, yeah? What about you, Tees? I'm not. Are oh, you not? <laughs> you don't look fresh either. Oh. What did you do? Uh, what did we do? No, what did you do, specifically you? Uh, <laughs> well, we came home together, didn't we? We, oh, we did come home together. together. At some point in the night, I told Professor Green that I fancied him when I was a, a young boy. Yes. <laughs> which I'm not sure... I don't even know if that's explicitly he true. He took it well, though, didn't he, TJ? He liked it. He did. He really liked it. Yeah, he did. What did he say? He, like, grabbed me by the arm. And he was like, thank you, mate. That that means a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> did you tell anybody else you fancied them? There's always someone. Who was it last time? Do you know what time? I did, actually? So, so at the party, there was this, like, post box. And oh, the whole point go. of it was that you were supposed to write an anonymous postcard, put it in the post box, and then Amelia would read out the postcards at some point in the evening right. and I wrote a postcard to someone who I've been friendly with in the past and <laughs> I signed it off with my name and I didn't realise that it was supposed to be anonymous Right, and did she read it? No, she didn't okay. actually No, she didn't read it but I thought it would be the right thing to tell the, the possible suitor what I thought Aww. Aww. which he liked yeah he yeah. seemed to like it people, people like you know they like to be told that exactly, fancy them, exactly. in terms of like celebrities who was there Professor Green <laughs> <laughs> who else was there Arlo Parks was there Biba Doobie oh yeah um, Sabrina from Pretty Sick was there Daisy Edgar Jones oh yeah um, Archie Medecque was there oh yeah Our we friend. like Archie don't we, we do oh, yeah. yeah he's in Saltburn Francis was there Francis Francis Bourgeois oh yeah yeah. Can't stay away. <laughs> well, oh. you did his first ever interview, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, he's so sweet. Kind of like waved me over from across the room. It's just like, hi, he's, how are he's you? He's a sweet lad. Such a sweetheart. Who else was there? Grian from Fontaine's. You know, I just obviously well, have oh to no, slip that they in. Oh no, the have fallen apart. No, actually, I kept it very cool. Thank you very much. <laughs> if Didn't even was, so much as a look in his direction. If it was Carlos, like, it'd be game over. Oh, it's Carlos, is it? <laughs> yeah. No, no, that's TJ's likes Carlos. Oh, okay. I, I, yeah. All right, whatever. Uh, yeah. Brooke, Brooke, you're here. Brooke's here. I am. Welcome, Brooke. You're, you're going to New York soon, aren't you? I am going to New York in the morning, 5am. For New York Fashion Week. For New York Fashion Week, yes. Which has already started somewhat with a Marc Jacobs show the other day. Oh, that was an off-schedule schedule showing. Yeah, Marc Jacobs showed um, its Autumn Winter 24 collection off-schedule last week. It was on Friday and... I think we talked about the fact that the brand is in the middle of celebrating its 40th birthday, which has been really fun. Not they his 40th. Not the his, 40th. the brand's 40th. Mm-hmm. Clarifying that for our Instagram followers yeah. who weighed in on that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so they released the Jürgen Teller campaign, which was obviously huge. And then the show was on Friday and it was really fun. It was very Honey, I Shrunk the Model 
Rules, <laughs> the show space featured this gigantic kind of um, table and chairs in the space, which was a piece that had come from the Gagosian by Robert Theron. So the models kind of walked under these the table and these chairs and looked like these little shrunken dolls in this quite distorted mm. setting. Um, loads of Mark's longtime collaborators were there and people who starred in the campaigns before. Sophia Coppola, Debbie Harry, Chloe oh, yeah. Savini. Yeah, saw pictures of all of them. And the collection was so fun. It just felt really playful and inherently Mark Jacobs in the way that, you know, it kind of disregarded fleeting trends and it was very irreverent. Mm. Um, the models had these huge exaggerated blowouts and big clumpy like lashes so they looked like dolls and a lot of the clothes kind of felt like pieces that you'd cut out and put on a paper doll. And yeah, it was just really, really fun and I think people are excited about that kind of return to the runway for Mark Jacobs and it felt like a real moment. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think what's nice as well is that with the, what's become quite commonplace with designers is that they've been looking back a lot and it would have been very easy for Mark Jacobs to look back and recreate some of his you know biggest hits, biggest moments. But in actual fact, he just showed that he, you know, he's still got it. He's still an innovator. He's, he can still make something so exciting and still feel so youthful. And he, you know, he is the designer of New York after all. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I really liked that. Mm, yeah, it seemed to go down really well on our Instagram, didn't it? I think a lot it of people did. were liking it, that pictures. did indeed. When do you go then? Tomorrow morning. What time? 5am. Painful. Early. Mm. Is that when you fly? I get picked up at 5 okay. o'clock. 5 o'clock oh. to go to the airport. Yes. 8 o'clock flight. Oh, that's what? fine, you're not getting on the tube. Exactly, easy. <laughs> what are you looking forward to? What am I looking forward to? Well, there's the big shows. There's, you know, people like Tommy Hilfiger, Coach. There's a big Puma party happening tomorrow night, which is all under wraps. I'm not sure what's going on there. Um, and then there's lots of, I think there's lots of really exciting, younger, more emerging designers at the moment in New York that have all been making waves. So I'm really excited about going to the Luar show. We interviewed Raul Lopez, the designer, last year for the magazine. You interviewed him. I did, yeah. We had a great, great old chat. So you liked him, didn't you? I loved him. Yeah, that was a really fun interview. Mm. So yeah, his show is happening towards the end of the week. Willie Shavara, really excited about his as well. He won the CFDA Menswear Designer of the Year Award last year. And his work very much explores his biracial identity and this Irish-American-Mexican-American heritage. And it makes for this really unique kind of vision and aesthetic his work feels very different to everything else that's happening in that scene at the moment yeah and in a, such a purple patch as well it's just really great collection after collection isn't it yeah yeah really strong so yeah excited about that um who else puppets and puppets oh yeah fun new york label run by carly mark and it's known for it's really like tongue-in-cheek quite silly pieces amongst some brilliant women's ready-to-wear. There's um, that cookie bag that you the see cookie everywhere. Bag, yeah. yeah, there's this little mini bag and it's quite literally got a cookie stuck on it and it comes in like all different colours and it looks, yeah, you just want to kind of rip it off and eat it, but obviously you can't. <laughs> Whenever I see somebody at a show with that, it makes me hungry. <laughs> like, it genuinely does. I feel like a mini bag like rears its head every kind of like couple years. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, Everyone but it's just so mini practical. Bag. Yeah. But it just hits every time. I like, can't mm. get enough. <laughs> Mini cookie bag. Mini bag. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, there's lots to look forward to. Fun. Are you doing the, the full shebang? Are you, are you then off to... Yes, well, we come back. London. Come back for London. 
where we've got some more exciting stuff going mm-hmm. on. Come back to London for a few days, then we do Milan, and then we do Paris. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, I'm sure we'll we'll hear from you. What about what about Grammy stuff? Because Grammys was um, at the weekend, wasn't it? Were there any kind of big yeah. fashion moments worth yes. talking about? There, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, because the, the actual like the speeches and the, the ceremony itself was actually a little bit dull, wasn't it? But it seems like yeah. people did Always talk is. about the red carpet looks. Mm. Yeah, I feel like it was all about Miley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Miley definitely looked amazing. Miley definitely had the biggest moment at fans very rightly dubs her the best dressed at the Grammys um, she, she had, had like five looks five outfit changes starting with a custom John Galliano for Maison Margiela dress um, with gold yellow tabbies um, yeah that was amazing that and was then great, she did yeah. that Gucci look there was this one shoulder mm. sparkly Gucci yep. Ancora red their new colour um, she wore that to collect her award and had like very good and again Jade mini bag a little red Gucci mini bag great that she was bag placement I've got to say yeah, very she excellent. was holding it while you know receiving the award and doing her thank yous yeah. she looked she told people that she forgot to put her knickers on but didn't forget any thank yous <laughs> oh, yeah. I think for me that the standout <laughs> look that. was the Bob Mackie fringed oh, mini dress for the for, yes. the, for the performance wow. and it, for me it felt like a real homage to those like you know 70s disco divas yeah. you know Tina Turner Cher it was really similar to the the dress that Tina Turner wore of Bob Mackie's, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So she wore that in 1978. And it was a very Tina Turner kind of performance. It was, exactly. wasn't it? Yeah. Like, it's a part of the mic stand. Yeah. It was brilliant. The hair. I think Such she, a big she absolutely deserved that award. Yeah. Was it the single of the year? Song of the year? It record was record of the year. Of the year. Record yeah. of the yeah. year. Flowers, These funny titles, don't they? Mm. Funny yes. categories. And what a record that was, Flowers. Great. And it was her first Grammy, which she shouted out mid-performance. She did. I just won my first Grammy. Taylor Swift also brought I think the accessory of the awards she brought mm. a fan so that you couldn't see mm-hmm. what she was saying so nobody could lip read yeah. which I thought was quite a oh, well, did you see her reaction move. when Jack Antonoff won producer of the year I thought she was going to beat the shit out oh my god The well she starts like yeah. she literally <laughs> starts this handshake they do Oh, is it? I think I so. Like, oh my God, he's literally just there. Like. I saw a compilation <laughs> later and it was like every time that they've ever done this handshake together, which oh, really crunched me out. it's a thing. Okay. Mm, yeah. okay. Well, nothing musical to talk about really, was there? But David, there was there was big music news this week, right? With the uni- was it, Can you explain the Universal stuff and the TikTok stuff? Yeah. So just like is like um, a disclaimer, understand music industry chat can get quite boring and mm. quite dry and quite dull. Mm. So you might be tempted to press pause TJ just yawned behind your back but I promise (laughs) this is tea this is juicy (laughs) and it's dramatic and it is going to have a massive impact on music somehow so basically Universal Music Group and TikTok their licensing agreement is about to expire stop yawning (laughs) (laughs) wake up their negotiations did not go well and they didn't reach an agreement Universal Music Group part of this statement which is mad like it's worth looking it up so, first of all, Universal Music Group, that umbrella group, it has loads of labels. So, Decca, EMI, uh, Island, Polydor, Def Jam, Republic, Geffen. So, this affects so much music. And it affects, you know, Drake, Billie Eilish, Olivia Rodrigo, Taylor Swift, Ariana Grande. Like, it's it's so many people affected, as well as all the small artists on all those labels. So, Universal Music Group um, said that TikTok's rates, so the royalties that artists get when people you know, pair a Drake song on their TikTok video. They said it's a fraction what other social media sites pay. Uh, they said that TikTok's trying to build a music business without paying artists properly. They said that TikTok's only 1% of the whole revenue of UMG. Their statement, 
just gets really spicy. They started saying that TikTok were trying to intimidate them. They were removing music of some of their artists, the more developing ones, but keeping the, the, the big audience driving artists on there. The statement just kind of goes off piece. They start talking about how like TikTok's hasn't got control on hate speech or bullying or deep fake porn. Like obviously all really serious important topics. I'm not entirely sure what it's got to do with this dispute. Um, And then, you know, TikTok got back with an open letter saying, you know, this is a false narrative. And they said that it's sad and disappointing that Universal Music Group has put their own greed above the interests and artists of their own artists. So basically what this means now is if you make a TikTok video and you try and pair it with any track which is under the UMG umbrella it doesn't happen and I think it gets blocked and I think a lot of existing videos which had them on now don't have a sound on them because yeah, the they've all been removed, removed yeah. now so many yeah. videos so it's kind of this news broke last Wednesday and it's kind of hard to instantly like sort of figure out what the consequences of that are going to be um, I mean, I guess like for, I don't know, in some ways I'm like the positives could be that like smaller labels and independent artists have an advantage mm-hmm. now. You know, mm-hmm. if people go to put on a Drake song instead have to pick like a smaller regional rapper or something like that, that might level the playing field of music a little bit. Um, but I guess like, you know, it's probably really harms the kind of mid-tier artists on those labels. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's cool if you're on, like, a small label, you're independent, and you've got a better chance of going viral on TikTok. But I guess, like, I don't know. I was thinking, like, New York Archives, right? She's signed to Island, and she's obviously a really successful artist and really popular and stuff, but for her... I wonder if TikTok would could be quite an important platform. Like yeah. I know she's been very outspoken about making jungle music accessible and welcoming, specifically to like young women of colour. And you know, like underground dance music can be quite gatekeeping and exclusive historically. So yeah, I mean, if you know, whereas TikTok is very, very much not gatekeeping. It's very much about how you attract an audience and make everything feel welcome. So yeah. I wonder if it's a total headache for those kind of mid-level artists. But um, I don't know. At the same time, like it depends what happens. I guess like the positive thing could be if like TikTok just stops becoming a source of music discovery. Will that be a good thing or bad thing for music? Like. I don't know. It has been a bit weird, hasn't it? The effect it's had on music. Like, like I remember going to like Glastonbury maybe two years ago and that band Glass Animals were playing. Yeah. Right. yeah. Band from, Big. Yeah, is it Heat Waves or song? Uh, I think that was what it was called. They've been around for a while, right? But, but, yeah, yeah, that's peculiarly big. I remember yeah. like Pure sending their first album on CD. That's how long ago yeah, it was. Yeah. It was like mm-hmm. sort of eight years late. I'm, I'm walking down... Glastonbury and someone says oh it's Glass Animals I want to go mm. and see the TikTok song mm. I was like oh man they had the massive crowd the, on the other the, stage the, the, the and crowd it's like, is huge at Glastonbury yeah, yeah but it's like that's great if TikTok has then driven people to listen to Glass Animals back catalogue which actually I don't know if that's a good thing because I listened <laughs> the first time and I thought it was crap yeah. but I think like if then people go not just to see one song, they're going to see 15 seconds of one song. Well, that was the Steve Lacey thing, wasn't oh it? Because Steve Lacey had a big yeah. song and people would turn up for that, for that uh, what's the song called? Bad Habit, Bad yeah. Habit, yeah. And they would turn up for that small part of it that was and on just the 15 completely seconds. Silent. Yeah. Yeah. And the way those songs snowball on the platform, it just means that the shelf life of them for people who perhaps are really into that artist, it just burns out so quickly because of the fatigue of just hearing that exactly that, mm, yeah. like that 30 second clip over and over again mm. i guess like the the 
yeah, there's that. And I think I try not to get like grumpy about things were better back in the day. But, <laughs> you know, people do complain that the last couple of years haven't produced a huge amount of like classic albums. But, you know, if it still felt like in like 2016, 2017, you'd get like Frank Ocean Blonde or Solange's Seat on the Table or Scissor Control, like these albums which were like critically acclaimed and really popular and kind of era defining albums you'd listen to from start to finish. Yeah. It feels like every year there's like less of those records. And they became more bloated after that, I think, the records. Yeah. You remember that Drake record that came after that was really long, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I, I wonder as well whether or not just, you know, from a record label's point of view, like, you know, paying your artist a massive advance to go to the countryside for six months and, and really put together a very detailed album which fits together well, whether or not that's just not good business anymore. You may as well just, you know, throw everything at the wall and hope you get a TikTok hit. So... Mm. But then I guess the negative thing is just whether or not it just means like less young people are just discovering music and music does become less of a, a an important part of youth culture and, you know, streamers and, and content creators are the new rock stars or something, you know, so. What do you think, TJ? Is it an example of a playing field being leveled or is it just another example of corporate overreach? <laughs> You got me there, Matthew. The cogs are turning. <laughs> the cogs are turning. I don't know, though. I think there is something about it which could be a positive thing. I think, we, I think, I think there, is, I, there is, you know, overstimulation. We are just being fed so much constantly. I think there is know? a backlash to the whole, like, making the viral TikTok song now. Do you know what I mean? It's just, like, I think arts are very pointed in their kind of, like... Yeah, you know when they're questions about their process and stuff, they're very much like, I don't want to just make a TikTok song. Yeah. I think it's it's mm. coming back oh, around well, when you again. Speak to people, yeah, you've noticed that when yeah. you interview people and mm. just like reading stuff. I think that's always like the first thing. Like, I'm not just doing this for TikTok. This is not. I want longevity and stuff. Mm. So I think yeah. that it's almost created this like circular. And there's effect. been artists who like you get press release, but oh, this artist had like you know five billion views mm. on TikTok, and then it's like they don't. Yeah, they can't like when it comes to playing live or something, or it actually putting a full-length project. They actually can't really do it. Yeah. What else is happening in the world of music this week? Do you want to talk us through your your favourite songs, your favourite yeah, tracks? Let's do the track of the week. It was thing. a good week, wasn't it, David? Yeah, it was good. It, it was wasn't good like week. big tracks, but it was good. They were yeah. good tracks, weren't yeah. they? Um, Don't do them down. I mean, there's there's one which probably wasn't my favourite, but worth mentioning was like this artist Dane, who is from Melbourne, and they are they make like kind of alternative pop. Charlie XCX is uh, their mentor, and they did this tune um, called Shades On, and yeah, that I wouldn't say it's my favourite, but it definitely sort of uh, <laughs> made an impression on me. It's like this kind of blog era, like electro house tune, and it's like the video's got sort of Cobra yeah, Snake style. I thought that exactly. Harsh flash photos. Mm. It's kind of like Paris Hilton, yeah, two thousand nine maybe, yeah. And it's got Corey Kennedy, yeah, and it's got loads of Ketman references, which feels kind of like very throwback to a kind of more brush time. Ket is back, and they also it also has Crayshaw on. Do you remember Crayshaw? Yeah. Yeah, and I realised that Gucci Gucci track came out eleven years ago. Oh my wow. god! Wow. And that was of the like the swag era. So like members would feature in the video, and there's a lot of like skinny, sort of like um, 
bright colored jeans and checkered vans and mm. snapbacks. And then I became privy to the fact that people were talking about a swag revival. Oh, here and we go. And like 2011, to 2009, to, Indie Sleaze is over. Now it's all about like. Scraping the barrel. Yeah, yeah. Which I, you know, that kind of, um, I don't know, it kind of disturbed me a little bit because it doesn't feel like that long ago to me, but it's been yeah. enough time for it to come back. But, um, so you've been losing sleep over this song, basically. I have, yeah. I have. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's good to hear from Creation. You know, yeah. she, I think she famously kind of, speaking of the music industry, being a bit of a mess, like, mm. you know, she like, there's loads of hype about her. The record label, she says, did a dirty. She's still owes some loads of money the album got panned by Pitchfork and stuff like oh, that yeah. so um, yeah. it'd be nice for it like you know have a little moment in the sun I think mm. and yeah I like this John Eno track do yeah. that one John yeah, Eno's good yeah yeah he's really good he's like um, this kind of underground London he's anonymous rapper. right kind of yeah, yeah he always blurs out his face mm. um, all the time and he's kind of a bit mysterious character and he's kind of pops up like on sort of like underground radio broadcasts and does these kind of slightly sort of strange grime ciphers like his crew of slightly alternative artists but yeah this tune um it's cold outside is like yeah it originally came out in 2019 um and it was like a bit of a fan favorite and then he's dropped it extended version of it and it's really good mm. um but i don't know the john glacier track the john glacier track is so good i think that's a clear winner for me i don't know if you guys have listened to it but um, no well, we can hear it now Jet setting, flowing like the water flows, sure, but I never stay running where the money goes. Go get a jet setting, flowing like the water flows, shows, but I never stay running with sharp and I always show out. No doubt, cause I know about ways. Long days, cause I talk about pain. I'm so running, I could talk about strains. So it's her new song is called Money Shows featuring Earth Eater. Um, New York musician who we've covered a couple of times which is actually quite an unexpected link up I think mm. Davey yeah. I, I wouldn't necessarily put those two together but it works really well and um, she teased the song on her Instagram and she like directed the video herself she looks amazing in it and it was just like these kind of like guitar riffs like punky guitar that immediately I was like oh my god I need to hear what this song is yeah the production's cool it's Quiz yeah. Darko who did it and mm. it's kind of like yeah just those like sort of like scratchy guitar chords and then Earthy is like she kind of like cues it's like an it's instrument like isn't it banshee in the background like yeah <laughs> so it's like there's, it's just like those guitar chords and, and earthy in the background oh it's so good it is good yeah and it's just like a feel good song like it's a little bit melancholy but it's quite like a life affirming yeah like poetic like classic john she's amazing as well like i think it's a really good teaser for her upcoming ep which is yeah out, which is out this month yeah track of the uh, week yeah Wonderful. definitely track of the week for sure for sure all right teach what have you been doing this week then you've been up to something been up to no good. Probably. <laughs> now tell us about it, because there's a, there's a new Barbara Kruger exhibition at the Serpentine, right? Yes, so that's right. So Barbara Kruger's exhibition uh, titled Thinking of You, I Mean Me, I Mean You, open on 1st of February in the Serpentine Gallery. So I caught up with uh, the creator Hans Ulrich Obrist uh, on the exhibition, and yeah, it's brilliant. I would advise everyone to go check it out. I think there's enough work in there for some, something for everyone, let's say. Wonderful. And this is you speaking to Hans now. That's right. Why did it feel like the right time for this exhibition? Basically, uh, Barbara Kruger is an artist who um, has permanently you know, reinvented herself, has reinvented the practice. And particularly over the last couple of years, with her recent work, with her films, 
really reanimated some of her previous works, also through digital technology, you know, through puzzles, through aerosols, and also other distortions. And I, we thought it's very fascinating how a lot of her commentary, because of course, Barbara, since the 80s, has done uh, commentary, uh, is about how we are to one another, as she she told me, and uh, as she told many times, you know, in interview. And for half a century, she has created that commentary on living in our times, and that commentary is still so relevant, yet at the same time, you know, she has created many different bodies of work uh, which just have not been seen in uh, in Europe, have not been seen in the UK, and there has been this museum tour which started in um, actually Chicago at the Art Institute. It then toured to LACMA in Los Angeles in a very reduced version. It went to MoMA in New York, and uh, we just felt it's very important that this work can be can be seen uh, can be seen here. So with that said, do you think that exhibitions should always be a sign of the times? I think it's both. I think exhibitions uh, have to be um, connected to the times that are taking place in, but at the same time also transcend that time and uh, and continue in a way to resonate and be relevant in the future. So I think it's both, yeah. When people are walking around the exhibition, they will find that it is, at times, it's quite eerily timeless. You know, the political messages that she was putting out in the 1970s or the 80s with themes of feminism or consumerism, individual autonomy, it's still so relevant today. Could you talk a little bit about the uh, about the TikTok feature that she made use for the first time uh, as part of the medium? Yeah, so the idea is that uh, basically, you know, every visitor can uh, basically in that sense make their own Barbara Kruger work, you know, using a TikTok filter. And that is something which she has always been, you know, very interested in that actually art can, you know, go into society uh, and of course she doesn't you know come originally from the art world or from an uh, an art sort of background she wanted to become an architect at the at the very beginning and that is something which is always there because the the idea that we are enveloped are almost like that, that it's almost like wrapping you know that she's wrapping the tech the, the space with the with the text that always goes back to her as a young person wanting to be an architect wanting to make environments and because for her architecture is really important ordering of social space and it's by entering it you you kind of become part of it and this the same thing is of true of course also true you know with this tiktok filter it's by sort of you know engaging with it you you become part of the work and the work becomes part of you and and i think this idea that she initially as an architect you know wanted to do buildings and uh, which we could sort of become part of and then also worked for magazines uh, and of course that led her to you know investigating typography and the di- very direct impact also typography can have which is something she she does with her work and ever since you know her work appeals far beyond the, the world of art she's certainly by far one of the artists of our time who has the biggest impact sort of beyond the art world. She has had a huge impact on the fashion world, on the music world. And it's interesting that in the first room, when the, when the visitors actually enter the Serpentine, there are these um, uh, works on the wall, the like wallpapers where she basically uh, takes back, she sort of reappropriates or brings back into her work all these works where people actually took her work without her even knowing, you know? Uh, and so that's uh, that just shows in a way um, how incredibly impactful her work has been. It was very fascinating to see how she really has a meaning for every generation. And uh, uh, in that sense, you know, her art is, is here to stay for I think many, many years to come, many decades to come, many centuries to come. 
I've been Matthew Whitehouse. You've been listening to The Face Podcast. Thank you to Brooke, to Jade, Davey, TJ, and to our special guest, Hans Orish Obrist from The Serpentine. Thank you to Hunter Charlton for producing. Thank you to you for listening. See you next time.